0: I agree with you, counting calories is insane. It's unsustainable. There's no other creature in nature that sits there and counts their calories. You never go on a tour of National Geographic to the African Savannah and see a gazelle, like wondering if it should eat another blade of grass. The thing is, is if we eat the food that we're supposed to eat, there is no need to count calories. It's only because of processed food. Welcome to the Calorie Conundrum Podcast with Coach Strick. Join us as we expand the weight loss conversation to beyond just calories and dare to ask the question, why does eating less and exercising more sometimes not produce the desired results? Here's Coach Strick to discuss this Calorie Conundrum.
1: Hello and welcome to the Calorie Conundrum Podcast. This is Coach Strick and today i'm super excited to share this interview with chef aj chef aj has been devoted to a plant exclusive diet for over 43 years she is the host of the television series healthy living with chef aj which airs on foodie tv a chef culinary instructor and professional speaker she is the author of the popular books unprocessed how to achieve vibrant health and your ideal weight and the secrets to ultimate weight loss A revolutionary approach to conquer cravings overcome food addiction and lose weight without going hungry chef AJ was an executive pastry chef where she was famous for her sugar oil salt and gluten-free desserts which use the fruit the whole fruit and nothing but the whole fruit these recipes can be found in her upcoming book a date with dessert she is also the creator of the ultimate weight loss program which has helped hundreds of people achieve their health and the body they deserve and she is proud to say that her IQ is higher than her cholesterol. In 2018, she was inducted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. Let's hear what Chef AJ has to say about nutrient density. Chef AJ, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, uh, it's a first for the Calor Conundrum podcast today in that you're the first vegan that we've had on the show. And I'm like I've said multiple times before, I want to expand the Weight loss conversation beyond just calories, and I also want to get different points of view um, because I think when we get stuck in this, in our own box, then we limit our, you know, what we can do, the information we have, and you know, the success we could ultimately have. And so I want to hear from you, your your story, um, your your history with weight loss, and how you ultimately came to choose veganism as your um, method of choice.
0: Right. Well, well, actually, they intersect, but I was fat as a vegan, just so you know. So I have a, a YouTube talk called From Fat Vegan to Skinny Bitch, where I outline my dietary history. But you can be really overweight or even obese as a vegan. And I was for the first 26 years. So I became vegan for ethical reasons at the age of 17 in 1977 but I had already been fat then. I've been fat since I was five years old. I was born to a morbidly obese mother, a normal weight father. So I had been fat my entire childhood. So for me, choosing veganism at such a young age had to do with ethics. And I did not eat a healthy version of a plant-based or vegan diet. I, all I did was when I became vegan is I stopped eating animal products. I was still eating refined carbohydrates, lots of sugar, lots of oil, soda, things like that, lots of flour products. So it didn't change my weight initially. But there are ways to eat a vegan or plant-based diet that are amazing for weight loss. Unfortunately, I didn't learn this until I was in my 50s, about 10 years ago
1: yeah thanks for pointing that out because uh, I think that's important to hit for for people to hear. Um, they hear a diet and they they think that's gonna be the answer. Um, but then you know there's ways of doing it that are better than others. and so you can be a vegan and still be eating whatever candies and you know pastries or whatever that aren't quote unquote healthy or that aren't gonna help you lose the weight but still be classified as vegan. So in that story, coming from, you know, vegan, fat, vegan, skinny, vegan, there was a lot of stuff that you kind of left out. And I would would like you to share it with the audience, because I think it's important, because there's other people out there that were are in the same position you were in back then. And um, hearing stories like this help help them realize that there is an answer, you know,
0: I think there absolutely is an answer. And I think the biggest takeaway from my story for anyone who has suffered a long time because of their weight is that I did not get it right until almost the age of 52 after a lifetime of failure. So I believe that as long as you're breathing, there's hope and it's never too late. So I basically did not understand what I teach today which is called calorie density until I was in my fifties. And that's way different than counting calories. Cause I agree with you counting calories, is insane, it's unsustainable. There's no other creature in nature that sits there and counts their calories. You never go on a tour of National Geographic to the African savannah and see a gazelle like wondering if it should eat another blade of grass. The thing is, is if we eat the food that we're supposed to eat, there is no need to count calories. It's only because of processed food. And so one of the things I like to talk to people about, because I know not everybody's going to be vegan, it, it, however, no one should be eating processed food, in my opinion. It's not food. And that's where the problem is, because our body doesn't recognize it as food. It doesn't have fiber. So we never get the brakes put on our eating when we're eating highly refined carbohydrates like sugar, flour, and alcohol. And unfortunately, Americans eat over 92% of their calories from from animal products and processed food, something like 70% for many people from processed food and it's not food. So the problem isn't whether we count calories or not, the problem is whether we're eating food or not and processed foods, not food.
1: Yeah, that's a important key point to make. Uh, some people, I mean, people, th- their whole diet is processed and there's there's no real food in there. And people don't realize that if if what you're eating is a toxin, that's work your body has to do to detoxify that and it's less energy it has to get you at to a healthy weight Um, and so uh, that's
0: no one eating a natural diet no one eating the diet consistent with their species natural history has ever been overweight or obese it's impossible it's only when you're eating an unnatural diet made of these highly processed and refined foods, like sugars, flours, oils, things like that, that don't exist in nature, at least not in any concentrated form. And a lot of these diet programs sell you the food to lose weight and it's not even food. And yes, you can you can go insane counting calories, trying to eat minuscule portions of, of these foods, but it's not sustainable.
1: Exactly. And another thing you mentioned, um, in the beginning and in your book just briefly was uh, about genetics and you said that your your mother had you know morbid obesity and genetics is often used by people to you know explain away their obesity or explain away their diabetes or cancer whatever it is that they have but i like what you said in the book could you expand on your thoughts on genetics? Absolutely.
0: Well, Willis, I'm not saying genetics isn't important, but it's not the only thing that's important. Genetics only loads the gun. It's your diet and lifestyle that pulls the trigger. And I think what is more genetic, even than your genes, is the recipes that have been passed down from generation to generation. So, yes, genetics can... Predispose you to a condition. So, for example, let's say somebody, I actually have a friend, both of her parents were alcoholics. And she said, Well, I have the gene for alcoholism. I had no choice to become an alcoholic. And I'm like, Well, actually, you did because if you never took that first drink, you would not be an alcoholic today. So, yes, genetics loads the gun, but your environment and lifestyle, your diet pulls the trigger. And there's this whole new field of epigenetics that when you change what you eat, you can actually change the way your genes express. So your genes are not your 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 fate. They're not your destiny.
1: Exactly. You
0: yeah.
1: Your yeah, exactly. And I I loved how you put that. It's the recipes that get they get passed down. And nowadays it's not even the recipes. It's the restaurants. It's oh, the yeah. drive-through restaurants because nobody's cooking, uh, but they're they're eating the same food that they had when they were a kid, uh, and, and you know they're everyone's doing the best they can. But they're blaming you know the issues that they're having on genetics when it's, you know, the recipes and the restaurants that they're eating not so much. It's the... funny
0: that you mentioned restaurants because I, I do a, every year I host a summit called the truth about weight loss. And one of the speakers that I interviewed Dr. Susan Roberts from Tufts University uh, has a laboratory. Uh, it's Tufts, it's close to many, many restaurants. And the thing about restaurants is you can't even, if you were somebody that really wanted to count calories, you can never assess the, the calories in a restaurant meal. And the thing is, is most people, eat about 500 calories more when they go to a restaurant and they don't, they don't account for it, you know, the next day by eating 500 calories less because restaurants use more sugar, fat and salt than you ever would at home. And they give larger portions. So really, in my opinion, regardless of whatever dietary style people follow, restaurants are the kiss of death for anyone that wants to be healthy and lose weight.
1: Yeah, that's a, another important point. Um, most, you know, if you're a physique competitor, a bodybuilder or something, they're not eating at restaurants. Um, they're, they're making every meal they make at home be, so they can be you know specific in you know, the exact number of calories because it, like you said if you go to a restaurant you have no idea what not only how much calories are in it but you don't know what's in it. Period. <laughs> like you don't know what it's made of, you don't know what the you know ingredients as far as flavorings and all that kind of stuff in there. And so when you're you're really rolling the rolling the dice when you're eating at a restaurant. Um, but that's a, another great point to, to take in mind. So you, you brought it up already, and you about you know, you know talked about it a little bit, um, this idea of sugar, flour, and alcohol. And, right. and you, you talk about it a lot in your book, uh, and that's the idea of addiction. And in the fitness and health field, there's this overwhelming idea or feeling that there's no such thing as food addiction. And this is coming from like people with PhDs and like very intelligent people that they, they, they just kind of scoff at saying that food's addictive and you can get addicted to food. And, and I'm, a, I'm of the belief that this is a very real thing. And you, you are too, apparently according to your book, could you speak about the actual, like, yeah. people being addicted to food
0: absolutely well i'm not a phd i don't have any letters by my name but i do interview a lot of people with phds and even mds that completely 100 percent believe in this notion of food addiction i think part of the problem is it's a terrible name for a disease because you really can't be addicted to food or eating, but you can be addicted to particular foods. And what those foods are, are the highly processed, highly refined carbohydrates. Sugar and flour go through the exact same refining process as drugs and alcohol. And for those that are vulnerable to their effects, it creates an addictive like process. Now this isn't everybody. For example, there are people that can drink alcohol in varying amounts and not become an alcoholic. But if you can't, then you maybe shouldn't have it at all. And there are people for whom, and again, this exists on a continuum, who for sugar and flours has that same effect in their brain. And it's that, I mean, Look, I don't know how these people cannot believe in food addiction with all the evidence now that it exists. I mean, even 10 years ago, books were written by people like the former head of the FDA, Dr. David Kessler, who wrote a book called The End of Overeating, where he talked about how sugar, fat, and salt were addictive, or Michael Moss, whose new book, Hooked, came out this year, or his previous book, Salt, Sugar, and Fat, How the Food Giant Hooked Us. Food addiction is a disease that was created by the food industry. It wasn't bad enough to have, you know, when tobacco became something that people were shunning and so they lost customers through smoking all the uh, tobacco companies bought up all the processed food industries to uh, do the do the same thing to addict them to their product that's why i mean even 20 30 years ago they had commercials basically telling you we knew our product was addictive saying bet you can't eat just one once you pop you just can't stop that's because they used the best doctors and brain scientists they could find at the time behind closed doors to figure out the exact combination of sugar fat and salt to addict the average person to their product which is why i stopped eating processed food a long time ago because i just didn't want my brain chemistry hijacked for somebody else's profit it's not food processed food may be easily available readily affordable and socially acceptable, but it's not food. So when I talk about food addiction, I'm not talking about quinoa or carrots or arugula or apples. I'm talking about processed food, things that come in a can, a box, a bottle, or a bag, not food that exists in nature.
1: Exactly. And people don't realize that you said all these things, it's you know affordable, it's accessible, it's socially accessible, but people don't realize that, and it tastes good, but people don't realize that it's scientifically made to taste good.
0: Absolutely. That's the that, that's why when I read this book, I got so angry that I stopped buying all processed food, you know, vegan processed food. And again, I'm not saying all these companies are disreputable. Maybe they didn't know this. But the idea was, is they found what... What amount of sugar, fat, and salt would create was called the bliss point in your brain, so that you literally could not stop eating and became a customer for life. And so, you know, to me, knowledge is power. And once I learned this, I said, I'm not, I'm not playing this game anymore. So, you know, (laughs) you know, just like cigarettes now have a warning label, they didn't when I was little. The Surgeon General has determined that smoking is hazardous to your health. Well, so is eating processed food, probably even more so, (laughs) because you don't have to smoke, you don't have to drink alcohol, but you do have to eat food.
1: Exactly, don't eat processed food. <laughs> exactly. And uh, that's, that's just so crazy to me that um, they, they've got it down to a science. And people have to realize also that not only is it a science, it's a business. And so it's the business of getting you to eat more and more food. And so they're going to do whatever they have to do to do that. And that results in oh, most of the times bad health.
0: Absolutely. I don't, listen, let's put it this way. It never results in good health. You know? So, so, it, and the funny thing is, is after the, the tobacco companies bought the processed food industry, now they're buying all the diet industries. They're buying things like Jenny Craig. So now that they can, that can make you fat and sick, and then they can get more money from you selling you a program that doesn't work. It's, it's really it's really evil if you ask me. And I hope one day they'll be held accountable for all the, the death and disability they've created.
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's one that's one of the reasons behind my podcast is to bring awareness around the responsibility we have to take for ourselves because they're not gonna do it for us. Uh, the government's not gonna do it for us, the food companies who are making money off this aren't gonna do it for us. You have to take responsibility of your own health and you know, do the research and find out what you know the real truth is because when there's, when there's money attached to anything, you, you've gotta be skeptical as who's telling you the truth and who's not. Um, so another thing that you discussed earlier that you briefly mentioned was this idea of nutrient density. And so, like I said, I'm not saying like my, my mantra has never been calories don't count or they don't matter. I'm just saying that there's so many other things that are important to your health and your weight, that it's almost just a complete waste of time to in excess stress that you're bringing up on yourself by doing that. Tell us how this new nutrient density idea can help us not have to worry about counting calories.
0: Absolutely. So everything that I teach is based in the work of Dr. Barbara Rolls from Penn State University, who wrote a series of books called Volumetrics, and her dietary style has always been voted as the safest and sanest, a sanest of any one dietary style. And so it's actually calorie density. Their nutrient density is important too, because as it turns out, the foods that are most calorically dilute, the foods with the fewest calories, have the highest nutrient. But what Barbara Rolls discovered, and she does research at her university at Penn State in her lab, where she studies human eating behavior. And what she discovered was that humans eat the same amount of food per day by weight. Now that doesn't mean that I would necessarily eat the same amount as an Olympic you know, bodybuilder, but that almost everyone eats approximately three to five pounds of food a day. That's how much food we need in terms of weight and volume to feel full and satisfied. And she discovered that all you have to do is change what's known as the average calorie density of the food you eat and you can lose weight without counting calories and without going hungry because you're eating the same amount of food you're used to, possibly even more. Because you see, calorie density is different than counting calories. And again, you're right, calories do matter, but not in the way that people think. Obviously to lose weight, you have to create a calorie deficit, but to do that without going hungry, you need to understand calorie density because what most dietary programs have you do is to cut calories to the degree where you're eating less food. And when you eat less food, you get more hungry and eventually you go off the diet and then you usually end up gaining the weight back that you lost and more. But when you understand calorie density, which is different, you can continue eating the same amount of food you were eating, possibly more and still lose weight because it's lower in calories. Calorie density. So food ranges in caloric density from about 100 calories per pound to about 4,000 calories per pound. Now remember, we're eating between three and five pounds of food a day to be satisfied. So if we eat five pounds of food at 4,000 calories a pound, it's going to be a lot different than if we eat five pounds of food at 100 calories a pound. The foods that exist in nature that I recommend people eat either all of their calories from or at least 90% are whole plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. And these average on caloric density from 100 to 600 calories per pound. The foods lowest in caloric density are also the foods in highest nutrient density. These would be non-starchy vegetables. They're about 100 calories per pound in a raw and about 200 cooked. You cannot overeat on fruits and vegetables. You would be so full from all the water and the fiber. It would be exceedingly impossible to exceed any caloric limit if all you ate is fruits and vegetables. And we know this to be true because there are people that do that. They're known as 80-10-10ers 10 or raw foodists or fruitarians. The, the caloric density they eat of their diet is 300 calories per pound or less, and they're the leanest people on the planet. You cannot be overweight if all you ate is fruits and vegetables at 300 calories a pound. Moving up on the calorie density scale, we have things like tubers, potatoes or sweet potatoes. And by the way, there are some squashes, for example, butternut, acorn. These are actually 200 calories a pound. They're lower in caloric density than even fruit, which is 300 calories a pound. Whole grains, quinoa, teff, millet, amaranth, corn, oats, whole grains have about 500 calories per pound and legumes, beans, split peas, lentils have about 550 to 600 calories per pound. If you keep your average calorie density to about 600 calories per pound or less, not 600 calories per day, but per pound of food, most people can eat what's called ad libitum as much as they want, as often as they want, whenever they want until they're comfortably full or satisfied. But the problem is Americans average calorie density is much higher the calorie density that our ancestors evolved at was about 700 calories per pound. And this is where I have this idea of the the red line that's on the back of my book. It's a little calorie density chart. Most Americans aren't eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes. They're eating animal products and processed food, which have a much higher caloric density. It's not to say that some people can't eat some of those, but they're eating most of their calories from these, which are also the food's lowest in nutrient density. You know, when you think about it, Animal products and processed food have something very important in common. They completely lack water and fiber. And water and fiber are probably the two most critical components in food if you're trying to be healthy and if you're trying to lose weight. The reason is, is because water has no calories, but it adds bulk to the food, it adds weight to the food. And fiber has either no calories or few calories, depending on what kind of fiber it is. And what fiber does is it tricks the brain into feeling full on fewer calories. It's also important for health because it flushes out toxins, binds to waste material, lowers cholesterol. But the thing about fiber and water, which again, you'll only find in plants, you don't find in animal products and processed food, they don't have fiber and they don't have water, is when fiber and water are together in a whole food, they create what's known as bulk. It's sort of like if you take a a sponge and then put it in water, it expands bulk is what creates satiety and so since most americans eat most of their calories from two food groups animal products and processed food with no fiber with no for with no water they don't ever get the stretch receptors in their stomach activated so they don't feel full and when you don't feel full eventually you are going to overeat you know your stomach is about the size of a cantaloupe it holds about a liter of food which is about 4.22 cups and you can fill it with anything you want but different foods have different caloric densities, but they also have different levels of satiety. And again, without the fiber, and if you're eating animal products, if you're eating processed food, you don't activate this mechanism of satiety called the stretch receptor. So you have to eat more calories. Anytime you under eat on nutrients, because animal products and processed food also have few to no nutrients, you're always gonna overeat on calories. And so it's, it's just a beautiful system, how nature designed that the foods that are lowest in caloric density, which are the foods that our ancestors ate throughout all of human history, also are the foods highest in nutrient density. The foods that most Americans eat, what I call the right of the red line, are the processed foods. So things like sugar, flour. Sugar is about 1,800 calories per pound. Beets are about 195 calories a pound. See, whenever you process a food, you make it calorie rich and nutrient poor. You're also removing the critical components, the fiber and the water. Bread and flour is about 1,500 calories a pound but the whole grain from which it was made was only about 500 calories a pound. If you ate a pound of brown rice, and I've done this because that's about two and a half cups of brown rice, you would consume about 500 calories and you would feel full because you'd activate your stretch nutrient and calorie receptors. But if you grind that brown rice into a flour to make a bread or a dessert, you now need 1500 calories to fill the same space in the tank. Because when you process a food, you're also decreasing the volume. And these things like flip, like I said, flour and sugar, they, they never existed in nature. I mean, sugar existed in nature in the form of fruit and fruit is very healthy. Fruit is about like two or 300 calories a pound, but sugar is much more calorically dense. The thing is how you uh, process a food can also affect caloric density. So for example, grapes are about 200 calories a pound. You'd be pretty full eating a pound of grapes. You could freeze it and make sorbet out of it. No sugar dessert, but you turn it into raisins and it's now 1300 calories a pound. This is where the concept that Dr. Gene Ornish wrote about in 1980, eat more, weigh less came to be. Because for the same amount of calories in two cups of grapes, all you get is a quarter cup of raisins. You really have to make sure that the water is in the food, the fiber is in the food if you wanna feel full. Because that's what's gonna get you to stop eating is is fullness, Not, not a certain number of calories. And again, people are counting calories, but it doesn't matter because they're not eating the right food. If you're not eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're probably gonna always find yourself overweight. And if you're eating a lot of processed food, you're probably gonna find yourself overweight or at least not in in very good health. Water is so important because it, it just creates this feeling of weight and fullness without any calories. So people say, well, I drink a lot of water. No, that's not gonna help because water exits the digestive tract too quickly. But when it's bound to food, like it is in fruits and vegetables, or if you make a healthy soup out of vegetables or a vegetable bean soup, something magical happens where you just start activating the mechanisms of satiety. And this is, again, from the research of Dr. Barbara Rolls. So if you're eating dried things like snacks, like cereals and crackers and cookies, first of all, these things have a very high caloric density, number one. But again, when there's no water in the food, you're always going to overeat because water helps you feel full, just the way fiber helps you Feel full, and when they are together water and fiber you've got bulk you've got satiety that really is the key to the kingdom unfortunately americans eat very few of their calories from fruits and vegetables and most americans eat no vegetables and that's really the secret secret to weight loss isn't counting calories the secret to weight loss is falling in love with vegetables learning to eat them learning to love them eating them at every meal even breakfast because what they do is they over- they dilute the overall caloric density of all the other foods you're eating. They're really magical.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's a lot of good information right there. I think the listeners are going to have to go back and listen to that again. Uh, so- soapbox moment there, because uh, there was about four or five different really good points that you made. Uh, one thing that you uh, brought up there was you were talking about the volume of food and filling up the stomach and you know, getting full and activating those stretch receptors. Uh, That's one thing that killed me when I was uh, working as a personal trainer uh, back in the days, people would come and they'd say, you know, they'd be working out really hard and they'd be eating like five to 800 calories or something, you know, really low calories. And I'm just, I'm just thinking in my head, it's like, you could be eating so much more food and not starve yourself and still be losing weight but you're over here, like basically starving yourself. And so that's one way you can get around that. Um, having to reduce the amount of calories, quote unquote, that you're eating by eating more food with more fiber and water. Right.
0: So, and, you know, I would never recommend somebody eat as low as 800 calories a day, but it, you could, you could eat four pounds of food for 800 calories a day. You could eat one pound of steamed vegetables, one pound of raw vegetables, a pound of fruit and a pound of steamed butternut squash, that would be four pounds of food for about 800 calories and you'd feel pretty full. I think it might be too low in calories for most people. You know, you think about that a lot of people resort to gastric bypass surgery when the idea of gastric bypass is to make the stomach smaller. You don't need to do that. You need to make the food bigger by eating huge amounts of steamed vegetables and raw vegetables. And then you activate the mechanisms of satiety. You don't need to mutilate your you, you know, your body parts in order to, to feel full. You just have to eat food that has fiber and water in it.
1: Exactly. If you're eat, like you said earlier, if you're eating the processed food, it's condensed down. So it's never filling the stomach. And when it does fill the stomach, you've ate way too much food. And exactly. Now, and then that- you're- yeah. That is
0: exactly right. I have a slide. It, it, well, it's not a slide here, but I, I, I could have pulled up my slides. It in my book. But it's a famous picture of three stomachs, and they fill it with various amounts of food. And when you fill it with 500 calories of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, the stomach is completely full. When you fill it with 500 calories of animal products, the stomach is barely full. And when you fill it with 500 calories of oil, you can't even detect it because oil has no fiber it has no nutrients no water it slips under the radar undetected by these mechanisms of satiety stretch nutrient and calorie receptors plant foods hit all three notes perfectly
1: yeah i went to a restaurant and i guess it's a restaurant yesterday Uh, it was a salad place and they were making this salad and it was literally in a bowl like a ginormous bowl and they filled it up with salad and i'm thinking is that all for me, you know, and then they finally got it done and put it in a bowl and I ate the whole thing. Um, but definitely filled me up, but it was, it was a, a huge amount of, you know, lettuce and stuff. And at home, like I would never have made a salad that big, (laughs) you know, just, I want to make a salad. Let me use the whole box of salad or a whole bag of salad or whatever. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing how much of that you can eat. And you're not going to gain weight eating a big salad.
0: There's, I mean, unless you're pouring blue yeah. cheese dressing or olive oil all yeah. over it, you know. You know, that's the problem is people eat a salad for 100 calories and use 400 calories of fatty dressing. <laughs> so, you know, that's the other thing we can talk about:
1: croutons <laughs> and cheese and stuff. Absolutely,
0: you know. You know, the other thing is, is you know. People have to understand that if they've taken a basic biology class in high school, they probably learned that protein and carbohydrate each contain four calories per gram. But fat, whether it's from a pig's butt or an olive, contains nine calories per gram, which means that fat is more than twice the caloric density of either protein or carbohydrate. Alcohol is in the middle. Alcohol is about seven calories per gram. And again, alcohol, oil, no fiber, no nutrients. So you're not going to get activated of those stretch receptors. And so you can eat a lot more of the foods that I recommend. Yes, the carbohydrates, but I'm not recommending processed carbs like sugar, flour, and alcohol. The whole unrefined complex carbohydrates, you can eat a lot more of them. You know, it takes only about 3% of the calories in dietary fat for it to get stored as body fat. But human beings cannot readily store carbohydrate or protein as fat that's known as de novo lipogenesis it's something that pigs do and if we could do it we'd have to eat an extraordinary amount of calories and it would take still over 30 percent of the calories to store it as body fat that's why they get the saying fat with you know moment on lips forever on the hips and so if people eat food in its whole food form instead of a processed food form, and that includes the fats, they would be much better off because you just don't want to be eating any food that doesn't have fiber. So eat the olive, not the olive oil, eat the walnut, not the walnut oil, eat the avocado, not the avocado oil, always eat your food with the fiber and water intact.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. So you've, you know, you've covered, what what it is the listeners need to do but my next question and where we w- I want to take this conversation is you're a chef mm-hmm. <laughs> um like I said earlier most the common average person today is eating you know fast food or eating out every day if not multiple times a week so how does someone do this
0: so there's a few different ways. And, and yes, I am a chef, but I don't cook like a chef, at least not on a daily basis. I do what is called, what's called batch cooking. And I eat the same things that I love over and over. So I think, there's, there's a few ways to do it. For somebody that really is cooking adverse, that either doesn't know how or is unwilling to learn, believe it or not, they actually have healthy, and I mean, super healthy food delivery services now. Like Mama says, it's a company I work with that actually makes not only plant-based meals, but meals without sugar, oil, and salt, the way I eat. That's one way. Another way is to get somebody else to do it for you. It doesn't have to be a chef that you're paying you know, $40 an hour. But I have lots of friends that use either a high school student, a college student, or even their cleaning crew who they pay for extra hours for the week to do their shopping and shopping to get the food at least prepped for them. But I think the easiest thing would be to just learn some basic batch cooking techniques. So one thing that I love and recommend to all my clients is the Instant Pot electric pressure cooker, because you can get healthy meals on the table. Very quickly, just by throwing in ingredients, and you can make soups and stews and chilies, you can cook all kinds of things very, very quickly. So, that's one thing that I recommend. But I think sometimes the bigger problem, coach, isn't so much that the people don't know how to cook, but people are so addicted to the taste of sugar, fat, and salt from eating this way that the foods that we recommend for health, the whole natural foods, don't taste good to them. And this is where the notion of addiction really comes in, and it can take depending on the person anywhere from a few days to a few weeks abstaining from these high fat, high calorie processed foods for the whole natural food to taste good. And a lot of people can't go through that period of adjustment. And also if they're really addicted to sugar, a lot of people don't wanna go through the detox because when people have big sugar habits, And they stop, it's just like somebody, if they drink coffee, you can't just stop. I mean, you can, but you're gonna get a headache. The same thing can happen with these foods. And that's how people know they're addictive, at least for them, is because when they stop, they have cravings, they have mood swings, they have headaches, sometimes even diarrhea or stomach aches. So I think the hard thing isn't so much that they can't get the food, but they don't like the taste of it until some neuroadaptation occurs.
1: Yeah, those are some good points as well. Uh, People are addicted for one, So they'll make every excuse in the world to not do it. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't have
0: enough time. I don't have enough money, too much stress. And that's addiction because, you know, I always find that when, when, you know, uh, once you have the why, the how takes care of itself. And when people really have a compelling, like they call it the why that makes you cry, but most people are addicted and the thing is they don't, they just don't know it, but you you know how, you know, is you stop for 24 hours and see how bad you feel.
1: Yep. Either either uh, they don't know they're addicted, or they won't admit that they're addicted. Right. Um, either way, it's it's the same. Well, because kind everybody
0: of... else is doing it. That's exactly. the thing. I mean, how? I mean, you know, think about it. You know, I, I not right now during the pandemic, but up until the pandemic, I've been volunteering for almost thirty years in a hospital doing something called pet therapy. And the food served to the patients in the hospitals are bad enough, but there are vending machines all over the hospital, even in the parking lot. So it's like you can't even go to Petco to get your dog a leash without walking by candy. And last time I checked, dogs weren't supposed to eat chocolate. You can't go to Michael's craft store or Joanne's fabrics or any of the hardware stores without them selling candy. And that makes no sense because... You know, so it's not, it's its not really the people's fault that they're addictive. They were given this disease by the processed food industry. This disease was created for them. If they lived in another time in human history, or even in a different part of the world today, they wouldn't have this problem. I know a guy from Uganda, he doesn't have this problem, because guess what, he's 29, he has never tasted processed food.
1: Yeah, yeah come to come to america and gain 20 pounds <laughs>
0: absolutely when you eat like an american you get fat and sick like an american
1: yeah. and and they,
0: they've done that even with the breast cancer from people with asia asians by the way they have the lowest obesity rate they have about three percent obesity rate and their diet is healthy white rice vegetables they come to america and look what happens and you know it's interesting because it, and i think another big problem is that people still are afraid of carbs and carbs are so different when they're in a unprocessed whole food form with the water, fiber, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, and micronutrients, and in a processed form like sugar, flour, and alcohol. And for people who still think that carbs make you fat, I would ask them to Google Dr. Walter Kempner, who fed his patients nothing but white rice, which is a carb, sugar, which is a carb, and fruit juice, and reversed diabetes in every single one of his patients, and they all became extremely lean. So carbs don't make you fat. It's what you put on them. So eating potatoes. I, I I know a guy who ate nothing but potatoes for a whole year and lost 120 pounds. It's what people put on the carbs, the butter, the cheese, the bacon, the oil. That's what makes people fat. The fat you eat is the fat you wear.
1: So let's say uh, somebody is is really wants to do this. Um, they they know they have an addiction. Uh, they're willing to sacrifice and you know get the foods and attempt to cooking and stuff. What are some of the biggest struggles or obstacles people are going to face in this in this uh, journey?
0: I think the environment. And by that I mean their home environment and their social environment. I have a saying in my ultimate weight loss program that if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And so often what happens, if somebody is single, it's it's actually a piece of kale. It's not that hard to do if they really are motivated. But a lot of times people want to make a dietary change and their family doesn't support them, whether it's the husband or the wife or the kids. And so it's it's sort of like can you imagine if you were an alcoholic or a drug addict and you got out of Betty Ford and they said, okay, go back to your job as a bartender. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you can't, you can't use meth anymore. But yeah, keep keep making it for other people. It doesn't work that way. The food is the same way. And so if you have crap food in your house, it's not a question of if you will eat it, it's only when. You know, willpower is a very, uh, it's, it's a resource that, that, that gets depleted as the day goes on. And willpower does not work for for this problem of, of, of weight. And so what happens is if We're genetically hardwired to prefer the most concentrated source of calories for survival. This comes out of a wonderful book called The Pleasure Trap, where you can also learn more about these mechanisms of satiety that I had mentioned previously in this this podcast. And that is for survival, because our ancestors mostly starved to death. And so if nuts were in season, they gorged on them. But if they found an animal they could eat, they gorged on it, but they weren't eating You know, bacon and eggs three times a day, and they certainly weren't eating processed food. They were they were nomadic and they were moving all throughout the day. And so because our ancestors didn't have enough calories to survive most of the time. Anytime we saw a lot of calories, we would eat them. But our brains haven't changed. And so whatever is in your environment, you're always going to go from the for the most calorically dense food there is. And so if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And I think a big mistake people make is they try to go on whatever say diet, diets don't work. Changing your lifestyle and eating healthy does work. You can't you can't do that when the food's in your house. It's always going to call to you. So it's not a question of if you will eat it, just when because willpower is not required when you don't have to make a decision. So one is the is the environment, whether it's your home environment, your work environment. If you have you know candy on your desk at work, that kind of thing. But it's the social environment that is the biggest problem because you know I, I, they say that there's this thing called the obesity contagion, and that they say that if you have you're more likely to be overweight or obese if your friend's friend is than even if your parents are. And unfortunately, people tend to. Seek company of people that are like them. And if you are the one that's trying to get healthy and get sane and lose weight and all your friends are still eating all that crap food, it's going to be really, really hard for you. And so it's not to say you have to get rid of those friends, although some, some cases people might want to, but to get new friends that actually value health. And, and the, I think the other big mistake is people, you know, the first three letters of the word diet or die people have to stop going on diets. They have to decide once and for all that they're gonna live in a healthy manner and change their lifestyle permanently. Because if what you do isn't sustainable, it's not gonna be permanent. And I find that if people really understand health and nutrition the way that I learned it from all the wonderful plant-based doctors is that when you eat a diet that is designed to get you healthy, you will also get lean. And a diet that includes processed food, in my opinion, is not one that is ever gonna get you healthy.
1: Knowledge, knowledge is being dropped right now, Chef AJ. I appreciate that. Um, this has been a fantastic podcast. Anything else you would like to add uh, before we? Say yeah, goodbye? I think
0: I know this can sound really overwhelming for people, especially because it's probably different than a lot of things they've heard. But they have to understand, like I came, I I was fat my whole life. I was. I was 160 pounds at the age of 11, and I wasn't even five feet tall. And this was something I battled for over 50 years. And for the last 10 years, I've been very lean, eating more food than you can ever imagine and loving every bite. And I've lost so many family members to lifestyle related diseases like heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And these are diseases of the knife and fork. And I just want people to know that it, what you eat matters. It makes a difference on how you look, how you feel, what diseases you can get, what, does, what diseases you get, what diseases you can reverse. And that every bite of food you put in your mouth, you're either eating for health or you're eating for disease. And so I think the most important takeaway is that wherever you are right now in your journey to optimal health and well-being add more vegetables. I eat about four pounds of vegetables a day. So I think everybody can eat too. And it's not as much food as you think. Yes, if you eat it all raw, it is. But if you take, if you ever bought a bag of frozen spinach, like to make a dip or a lasagna or something, you squeeze the water out, that pound you can hold in the palm of your hand. When you cook vegetables, a pound is not that much. Vegetables are not only the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, but they are absolutely magical in their ability to give you beautiful skin to help you lose weight by lowering the caloric density. But they also have one thing, especially if you're willing to eat the cruciferous or dark green leafies. And this is where it comes in to play with food addiction. There's a compound in cruciferous, dark green leafy vegetables called thylakoids. And what thylakoids do, are not only block fat absorption, but they turn off the hunger switch. They actually make you not crave sugar. And if you're willing to include them in every meal, particularly at breakfast, you will find that you stop craving sugar so much and your health will improve and your weight will decrease. But you have to eat them and you have to eat them every day. Vegetables are magical.
1: AJ, if the listeners would like to get a hold of you, uh, where do they go? My
0: website is mynamechefaj.com, but I actually do a live YouTube show every single day at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can just hop on YouTube. I have interesting guests, mostly talking about nutrition, doing cooking demos, but sometimes on other topics. And I'm live every day. You can ask me questions in the chat or just go to chefaj.com and sign up to be on my email list and send you recipes and things like that.
1: All right, Chef A.J., thanks for coming on the Color Conundrum Podcast today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Chef A.J. I think the timing for this podcast was perfect because if you tuned in last week with Jimmy Moore, you learned that Jimmy eats almost only meat and animal fat, and now Chef A.J. is saying she doesn't eat any animal products. I think if we can look past these seemingly monumental differences and look for similarities, you will find the same underlying theme. Both people are super passionate about helping people achieve their optimal health. And that is the same reason I started this podcast. Oftentimes, when we only focus on calories or a number on the scale, we lose sight of many things that are important, including our health. Remember that everyone is different and there is no one path to optimal health as long as you are adhering to the laws of nature. Quick side note, gazelles don't count calories. And with that said, This is Coach Strick saying thanks for listening, and remember, when calories in, calories out doesn't work, that, my friend, is a calorie conundrum.
0: This podcast, including Coach Strick and guests, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects for the use of any information contained herein. Coach Strick and or guests may recommend products or services in which they have a direct or indirect financial interest. To find out more, please visit www.calorieconundrum.com.